0: This is a 980 CKNW podcast.
1: You are live with the App Show. Mike Agarbo here with John Beeler. We've got a great program. Of course, we're all about apps and mobile tech. In today's show, we're going to be talking about the war between Roku and Google. Roku is one of the biggest streaming TV stick platforms out there. Well, they're battling with the multi-trillion dollar Google and YouTube Who will win? Well, we'll uh, dive into some of that. We'll also be talking with our uh, Toronto correspondent, Ted Critsonos, about a really cool website that you can get research papers from. So if you're a student or you're in business and need some research done, research papers to get access to, I've had to find these things in the past. It's hard if you just try to Google that stuff. Yeah, This website brings them all together and just makes it so much easier to find. Again, whether you're a student or in business. And we'll be talking with uh, our friend Michael Geist about the Shaw and Rogers merger and how that's shaking out and what that means for competition in the telecom space, which we probably know is not good. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert. Uh, But we'll be talking about some of the things that might uh, fall out from that. Uh, Let's get into the mobile news and the app news, uh, John. Verizon... They bought AOL and Yahoo a while back. They paid, I think, nine billion dollars for the two of them. Yeah, back in the day. Yeah. They just sold them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> the dream is dead. For a lot less than they paid,
1: five billion. Yeah, they lost four billion dollars. That's that changed. Is that just a rounding error for them now?
0: Well, it could be. Yeah, and, and plus they also get to write down that that difference too. But it's it's kind of sad though because back in the day. These properties were how people did the internet. Yes. And they just kind of got swallowed up by or or sort of outpaced by other players. And they sold at the right time, I guess, (laughs) to Verizon. Yeah. Um, But then, you know, Verizon maybe is not the best company to be managing those properties because then both of those companies have basically, they're like shells of their former selves.
1: Yeah, they're uh slowly heading toward the dustbin of tech history. I mean Yahoo was an AOL for that yeah. matter. Back in the nineties, they were they were the tech industry. Yeah. That's where you went for content and to get connected with the internet. They were bought by the Apollo Global Management Group, which also owns the Venetian Venetian Casino in Las Vegas. I don't know what the synergies are there.
0: We're going to get AOL disks in our in our hotel rooms now. <laughs> Your key
1: card <laughs> that you connected to the internet. But it, it's interesting. Like Yahoo, I mean, they were a juggernaut. I mean, Google fell out of Yahoo. Like some ex-engineers started Google yeah. from there. But uh, Google's, or sorry, Yahoo, I mean, they've had a good run. And they're still kind of around.
0: Yeah, they are. It's funny. There was a time in the 90s that I actually all, I considered moving to... To the Bay Area to work at Yahoo because yeah. I had some friends that worked there and they were like, come to the dark side or the purple side, I guess.
1: I remember visiting them back in the 90s and it was just magical, John. Like, oh, you went to their campus. I remember being in the reception area. They had, you remember asteroids? Yeah. Somehow they had an asteroid machine there, but instead of the asteroids, the little vector asteroids, they were like Yahoo logos. Yeah. I remember and that. It was just mad. And the whole waiting room was all purple and yellow. It was just magical. Yeah. How far have they
0: fallen. <laughs> well, now they could be bought for five billion.
1: Well, it's interesting. Some of the uh, the companies they bought along the way, they've totally botched. Uh people might not remember broadcast.com. Yeah. They might know the owner who owned them back then, Mark Cuban. Yeah.
0: That's was, how he became a billionaire.
1: Yes. Yahoo bought them. Broadcast.com was like the the YouTube of the nineties. Yeah. And Yahoo ran that into the ground. They bought Flickr. Yeah. Ran that into the ground. <laughs> I mean, it's been sold off again.
0: Yeah, it's, it's changed hands. And I, I think it seems like in a fairly decent, stable place right now. I'm still using it regularly.
1: Yeah. Anyway, uh, we'll have to see what happens with AOL and, and Yahoo as uh, time marches uh, on. Uh, and uh, just quickly here, John, Apple and Epic... Epic's a software gaming company that makes a really popular game called Fortnite. You might have heard of it. You might have heard of it, maybe not, but it's one of the biggest games in the world. Uh, Epic is in a major court battle with Apple because they don't want to give up 30% of their app revenue.
0: Well, and that's the interesting thing. This court battle is exposing all of this information about their business model how much my they made nine billion dollars off fortnite in a very small amount of time and the game is free yeah
1: and they're only making money selling like costumes skins yeah for the characters that
0: don't affect gameplay whatsoever no no
1: so uh during this uh, court battle things are falling out like you said walmart apparently was launching a cloud gaming service
0: yeah Back in 2019, apparently, the Project Storm was being worked on and there's all these confidential emails that are now coming out of this court battle.
1: Well, we'll be following on that. Uh, It's kind of heating up again and uh, we'll uh, check in on that over the next uh, couple of weeks. When we come back from the break, are you paying too much for your cell phone bill? We'll be talking with Michael Geist and what the Shaw Rogers merger means for future pricing back after this. You are back with the program, Mike and John here. We're going to talk about uh, the big shaw rogers merger now and some of the implications of that and specifically around freedom mobile as well and what that means for competition in canada we've got a great guest his name is michael geist we've had him on the program before he's the canada research chair in internet and e-commerce law at the university of ottawa and a member of the center for law technology and society thanks for joining us michael
2: no thank you so much for having me
1: uh i just wanted to talk to you about this uh you're kind of in the know on all of this uh technology Uh, and uh, the business and law aspects of it. Uh, When I first heard that Rogers and Shaw were merging, I wasn't overly excited about it. Uh, I was excited when Shaw came into uh, Western Canada with their Shaw Mobile. I just saw increased competition. Suddenly, all the cell phone rates went down dramatically. Uh, I now have like the most insane cell phone plan. I think I've got like 40 bucks a month uh, for 25 gigs, which is unheard of like even a year ago. And I I attribute that to Shaw coming in kind of shaking things up. So now that they're merging, um, what are your thoughts overall as far as the competitive landscape when it comes to uh, like the telecom carriers, the cell phone carriers?
2: Sure. Well, I'm glad you liked the competition while you had it. The uh, <laughs> short sure window. It's that it's, uh, it's going to continue at least for the for the long term. Um, you know, listen. The, these companies have obviously any number of different assets, but the one that's gotten the most amount of attention, I think, rightly so, is the wireless. And of course, wireless services are today so critically essential for the communications uh, of millions of Canadians. And we've had repeated findings from independent studies. And now even from the CRTC itself, the telecom regulator, that Canadian wireless prices are high and that insufficient competition is the reason for that, and you know, I don't think we have to overthink the implications of this deal. You take out what was a major player as the fourth carrier in several of the most important markets in Canada, in BC, in Alberta, and in Ontario, and you are ultimately going to have a negative impact on competition and an increase in prices for consumers.
1: So, what do you think is going to happen here now? I, I like Freedom Mobile is now going to become Rogers. Um, and the government they made all this brouhaha about you know opening up the wireless spectrum so that there could be increased competition and now that's just all gone to hell
2: yes (laughs) this is uh, this is disastrous from a government policy perspective if the deal goes through unchanged and we've had successive governments both conservative and liberal I think it's it's worth noting this isn't a partisan issue in any real way we've had successive governments all place the emphasis on a fourth carrier, recognizing that competition was the issue. The way to address that was to have a viable, robust fourth competitor. And if you take that out of the market, if the deal is approved Uh, unchanged. And I think there's been considerable speculation there will be pressure on the companies to change it. But if it is approved approved, unchanged, uh, what will happen is that ultimately that fourth carrier will disappear. It will become part of Rogers um, and the competitive environment will be one where there will be three carriers again and prices will go up. In fact, I would say that the companies have have basically already confirmed that that's the case. What they did was say prices wouldn't go up in the first three years. I took that to to essentially be a clear commitment that uh, just wait until the clock ends and prices start going up again
1: yeah why would they have to promise that like i was like oh so they are they they are going up uh but so in, in in your opinion why do you think rogers wanted to merge with shaw like do you think it was the mobile or do you think it was like the home internet and, and cable tv
2: Assets. Right. Well, I mean, I think these two companies have been thinking about merging for for literally decades now. You know, the if we go back many years to the namesakes of the two companies, to Rogers and Shaw, they they quite literally divided up the country um, and had two large cable barons service most of Canada. Uh, there have been talk, there has been talk of merging those two companies for many many years now Uh, as for what they're hoping to achieve well i mean obviously they're hoping to become a stronger competitor against the likes of telus and bell in terms of what does this look like afterwards i mean it depends a little bit on on this process there's a full regulatory process that will have to happen you know if if the deal goes through unchanged then and then we do as mentioned off the top lose a lose a competitor in the marketplace ultimately um, it is of course entirely possible indeed I would think that the companies would expect that there will be some pushback from regulators and from the government and so they may be asked to divest some assets and once we see what some of those conditions are if that's where they end up at uh, that'll give us a better answer to your question you know what do they want out of this well we'll we're about to find out in a sense over the coming year did they want it just to get the wireless assets if they did and they're required to divest them then they're going to walk away were they satisfied would they be satisfied with merging the the remainder of the two organizations including and most notably including the cable assets I suppose we might find out if there is a requirement to divest of wireless. So um, we don't know for sure whether or not they feel it's a good enough deal on the, largely the cable alone, or do they? Is is wireless an absolutely essential part of the deal for them?
0: It's interesting, Michael, that uh, it's come to light in the last few days that Bell was also. Uh, trying to buy Shaw as well. And they ultimately determined through somewhat of a bidding where it sounds like that it wasn't in the best interest of their shareholders ultimately. And because of the regulatory concerns, and I think potentially having to divest a few assets to make that all work.
2: Right. And, and so, you know, I, I think the two companies, both, Recognized both Bell and Rogers recognized that they were going to face significant regulatory pushback, and it came down to a question of who was willing to take the bigger risk in that respect. And you know the the reports have indicated that um, Bell was unwilling to meet the Rogers payments for a so-called break fee if things didn't work out uh, and also were unwilling to take some of the risks that, were, that they recognized might come with one of these transactions. I mean, bear in mind, Bell itself went through a similar deal, not quite as large, but a somewhat similar deal in Manitoba just a few years ago. Um, and in fact, I'd argue that Rogers went through right now the same playbook. I mean, they're basically making promising the same bunch of goodies that bell promised that allow them to uh, merge with mts in manitoba and hoping that going to that playbook comes to roughly the same result
1: what do you think the best outcome would be michael
2: well i think the best best outcome quite frankly would be to say no um, <laughs> okay. no i think that there there hasn't been Really, much in the way of persuasive arguments that this is something that is good for competition or good for consumers. I think that would be a, an exceptionally hard case to make. Uh, and so, in an ideal world, we would have regulators in a government with a backbone that would simply say no. Um, you know, whether or not we have that in Canada, it's some. It can be at times hard to be optimistic if we're honest about it. You know, we, we just recently in Canada, it's the last number of weeks had a proposed merger between Air Canada and Air Transat uh, Mm -hmm. shut down, not because of anything that Canadian regulators were prepared to do, but because European regulators stepped in and said, no, this is going to have a negative impact on competition. And in that case, it's only involving a few routes. Um, You know, why, why Canadian regulators have been less willing to take a firm stand is, is a little bit difficult to understand, but you know the the ideal is simply no. If it is, if that isn't the outcome, though, if they're unwilling to simply say no, then I suppose the next best is to establish appropriate condi- conditions and divestiture. And it seems to me that the most obvious starting point is to say that the wireless assets are going elsewhere, and uh, you simply can't merge on the wireless side. And that what we need is a vi- a true viable fourth carrier to get those get those assets so just to uh, just to make a note that you know if anybody could step up and take over those freedom mobile assets if it's a weak fourth player we're really not any further ahead in fact we're pretty far behind and so what we need is a strong carrier to take over those assets if that's the route that we ultimately take
0: michael what do you think about the notion of that what you just suggested there that fourth carrier the reason why the government and the regulators would approve the Shaw Rogers merger is to stop having to go to the ultimate option would be to allow foreign carriers to come into canada and displace all that
2: <clears throat> no i don't I, no, no candidly I, I don't really see that i don't see the the prospect of a foreign entrant as a significant issue um, you know the, the the legislation right now does allow for some foreign ownership. There's restrictions in how large you can be through a through a merger and acquisition. Although you're allowed once you're in to grow to be as large as uh, as possibly can be i suppose um you know we've had actually governments want foreign entrants to come into the marketplace so i don't think the concern is around a foreign entrant i think the concern is more if you just if if you revert back to the days let's say when these assets were initially owned by a company called wind um -hmm. which you know made as good a go of it as it could, but always found it tough to compete in a market that it felt was largely stacked against it, where you had the banks looking at the big telecom players as being their preferred clients, where you had those same large telecom players able to offer up bundled packages and services. So they were of course offering up not just wireless, but cable services and internet services and a whole range of other services, which allows them to, in effect, make if needed when you're negotiating with a customer make your wireless bill look cheaper because you can uh, reduce one part of the bill while you're increasing the other parts of the bill and it all comes out in a single bundled package if you've got just a a player that all they've got are these wireless assets and now wireless assets that weren't even participating in the forthcoming spectrum auction because shaw's sitting it out that's just not a very strong uh, competitor and so at you know the the only real way to to move these assets and lessen the impact on competition, though there will still be an impact, uh, is to adopt an approach that ensures that the, the the person who purchases those assets, or the company that purchases those assets, can operate as a true viable fourth carrier in multiple markets.
1: Well, only time will tell if anything like that can happen. Michael, we want to thank you for joining us today and giving us your thoughts.
2: Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks so much for having me.
1: That was Michael Geist uh, talking about the Rogers-Shaw merger and what's going to happen to competition uh, in uh, the coming uh, months and years. When we come back from the break, more Tech to Talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the program. Mike and John here. You're tuned into the App Show where we talk about the latest in apps and mobile technology. We have an amazing contest going on right now, John. Yes, we do. We're giving away one of the latest flagship phones from TCL. It's called the TCL20 Pro 5G. So it's uh, capable of the high speed 5G network connections. Four cameras on the back. The pictures are amazing on this. Yes. That you can take. The screen is amazing on it as well. I think a 6.6 inch, beautiful AMOLED screen on it. And got a headphone jack. You can hook up to four Bluetooth headphones or speakers at the same time. The tech in this thing is is outstanding.
0: Yeah, it's, it seems like it's worth more than it actually is. 800 bucks, yeah. We're giving one away. Plus,
1: we're giving away a TCL 55 inch 4K TV with Android TV built in. So if you want a chance to win, go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com. There's a big picture on the front page that gets you into the contest and all the details are there. And do you want a chance to have extra entries into the contest to increase your chances to win? At the end of the app show today, we'll be giving you a secret word that you can enter in on our website to get you extra entries. Again, just wait till the end of the show. We'll give you that secret word. John, I want to talk about Roku now and YouTube. So Roku is one of the biggest streaming providers in North America. What I mean by that is the streaming sticks and TVs with the Roku TV interface built in. In my house, I think three of my TVs have Roku built right into it.
0: Yeah, it's pretty common. Even TCL has TVs with Roku built in. Hisense,
1: Sharp, uh, a number of, of TV manufacturers. So I think they have about 37% market share in North America. Like it, it's huge. Like when you think of Apple TV, for example, you think that's big. No, Roku blows them away. Yeah. But they're in a major fight now
0: with Google and YouTube. Yeah, which is just frustrating for the consumer because they're the ones that are going to lose out on this. It's just going to be more problematic for the average person who's probably choosing Roku in the first place because it's the easiest way to get streaming content onto your TV. And they have basically are in this battle. YouTube has, or Google has removed the YouTube app from Roku.
1: I think Roku removed it.
0: Roku removed it. Yeah. So that's no longer an option if you want to watch YouTube videos on your TV through a Roku system.
1: If you've already have the YouTube app loaded onto Roku, you're okay. But if you want to try to add it today, no. So what's happening is the agreement between Google and Roku to have the YouTube app on the Roku platform is coming up. And Google wants to renegotiate, of course. Uh, They have a new streaming video codec and essentially this is software uh that basically allows streaming video and so they have a new one called av1 and to make that work the streaming device the stick or the tv has to have hardware decoding on it so it's not software but hardware like some chips to actually do the heavy lifting on that yeah and that would necessitate any new Roku sticks and TVs being made to have that built in, which Roku is saying they don't want to do because that would increase the price of these sticks because you can pick these things up for as little as 40 bucks now.
0: Yeah. And that's the, really the price is, is the reason why they're so popular because when you look at it, the cost of, say, an Apple TV or even, uh, you know, comparable Amazon products, it's still the best value. And if it's built into your TV, that's even better, right?
1: Yeah, so this is kind of a a crummy place to be, right? Because technology moves forward. Google wants to improve their YouTube streaming. You know, they're doing more 4K and 8K is coming up. And they're recognizing that the processors, the chips in these streaming sticks have to go to the next level. Yeah. And Roku's whole value proposition is cheap streaming sticks. And I love them because I've got some of these things that are four years old and they still work. Yeah. But- they're not going to work on this new YouTube platform when they go ahead with that.
0: Well, we kind of had the same a similar problem as far as this compatibility issue. Do you remember when YouTube used to stream via Flash? Yes. And then they turned that off, and the yeah. only way to get it was through Chrome because it was built in and then they got rid of that and, you know, so then they had to sort of change their whole codec model for how YouTube videos are delivered. Yeah. But I mean, this is this is a constantly moving goalpost, right? Because you're always going to have to keep up. But the nice thing is these Roku sticks, like you said, you've got a couple that are four years old, yeah. which in technology terms is ancient. Yes. Um, that, it's like the Stone Age. Right. Yeah. And this is also a common problem that a lot of smart TVs suffer from as well. The software outpaces the hardware that's inside the smart TV.
1: Yeah. So that's the challenge. So a lot of these smart TVs, like I have a, a Vizio TV that is probably seven years old now. And the smart TV built into it it's it can't handle anything anymore i've had to put a roku stick on it yeah so you know when people always ask me what kind of smart tv i should buy i'm like it doesn't matter because just get whatever they have you know you can watch netflix and prime video and and that but eventually it's going to get outdated
0: yeah and you can't just it's really hard to find a dumb tv now no you just can't
1: yeah because they all have it built in it doesn't really cost them that much no so but You just have to get used to the fact after several years, you're probably going to have to update your stick, your smart TV stick or box, whatever you're using to get the latest. And it almost reminds me this battle right now, back in the cable TV days, uh, the big cable providers would fight with some of the, the big networks like AMC or ABC, you know, they're trying to get a better deal. And then the cable providers were like, no, we're just going to cut you off from our subscribers.
0: Right. And the consumer is the one that loses. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Which they're losing in this case here. So I don't know how long this is going to go. One way or another, YouTube's going to advance, right? Yeah. And they're going to go with this new streaming format.
0: We should say that you still have options. I mean, if you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can probably just cast from that tablet in YouTube... To your TV. To your TV. Yeah. Right? Uh, so there's that, that's an option. My Telus TV uh, 4K terminal actually has a YouTube app built in as well. Yeah. So...
1: Yeah. And and any of the um, the Roku streaming sticks now, and I think uh, with the latest update, it'll work on even the older ones. Uh, if you've got an Apple device, an iPhone, you can airplay anything on your phone or your iPad to the TV. Yeah. So that kind of bypasses all of that.
0: Which kind of makes this whole little battle kind of silly. It's stupid. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, you, YouTube and Google, they're going to advance the YouTube app and Roku's going to have to fall in line. Yeah. So they might win a small battle right now, but yeah, the war is not over. No on that. And the consumer kind of gets caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Okay, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking with Ted Kritzonos about a really cool website that amalgamates thousands of research papers that students can use and even businesses uh, as well. It's actually a really amazing service. And don't forget to stick around to the end of the show. To get the secret word. And the secret word is for our TCL 20 Pro 5G smartphone and TV giveaway. By knowing that secret word, you can enter it into our website and get extra entries. Increase your odds of winning. We'll be back after this. You're back with the program. Mike and John here. Let's talk research now. And... I know this might not sound like a sexy topic, but a lot of times when I'm doing presentations uh, or proposals, it's helpful if I get some more background information on the topic uh, of the thing that I'm trying to propose. And a lot of times that would take the form of research papers, but those are not easy to find. You can find little excerpts of them online, but they're not typically the full version of it unless you pay gazillions of dollars. We've got Ted Kretsonos, uh with us to tell us about uh, a cool service that uh, helps you find these uh, in a one stop shop. Thanks for joining us, Ted. Thanks, guys. Pleasure to be here. We're talking about uh, something called Core, Ted. Explain to our listeners what this is all about.
3: Well, you're right, Mike, in saying that it's not sexy because it's not. And, you know, the best way I can describe this is think about a repository, like a massive, sort of like a well of just research papers. So we're talking like peer-reviewed research. We're talking about academia. You know all the stuff that is done that ultimately gives us knowledge on any kind of subject you could think of. So if you're a student, a journalist, you know you're in a, you know you're in academia yourself. You're working on a project. You know anything that would require you, or even just casual interest, anything that would require you looking something up but wanting something more scientific as to what it is you're looking for, core is probably one of the best, if not the best uh, options for you. There's over 208 million research papers available on there. They span the globe. There's, I mean, a lot of them come from the US and the UK. Canada's in there too, as are a lot of other countries. There are dozens of languages available also. And they cover largely, a lot of them cover the last 20 years, but you're gonna find stuff that's a little bit older than that too. And it's really about any topic. Uh, any topic you can think of will probably have a research paper somewhere in there. And, and, and even like if you angle the topic a certain way. So for example, like if you look up Facebook and privacy, you're going to get all kinds of interesting stuff that comes up from that. If you wanted to look at, I don't know, something related to the SARS epidemic from 2003, you might come up with something uh, from there as well. Um, there's just a lot, there's a lot
1: to go through, a lot are these all science-based research papers
3: for the most part, uh, for, they're scientific in the sense that they are there. The research was done, you know, with, without, you know, let's say a political agenda or something like that. Right. Like this is the ideas for some kind of neutral, um, uh, uh, knowledge, like some kind of new, like neutral findings, if you will, uh, based on whatever it is, the research is about. So, uh, for the most part uh now not all of these are free papers necessarily you will get parts of some of these papers but i would say based on what they're saying uh about i think about 75 million are totally free to read uh you know unfettered you can read the whole thing uh, whereas other you know some that aren't totally free might be behind some sort of a paywall but at least you can see some of it. So you can find it a little bit easier than you would doing a Google search or something.
0: And I think that's the key here is that th- this is not just some crazy blog posting that someone did about a certain topic. This is actually probably peer reviewed papers, yeah. fully uh, attributed sources, all that kind of stuff, the kind of stuff that maybe has been lacking the last few years in, in, online. Um, so
1: so <laughs> these are quality research papers is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Okay.
3: Well, yeah. Yeah. Cause the idea here is these are, these comply with the open access policy, which means that they are peer reviewed papers and articles that are allowed to be published openly to all recipients, uh, by the author. So whoever wrote, whoever wrote these papers has allowed these to be part of the open access sort of policy. Uh, and they've said, okay, yes, uh, I, we, we allow this to be, to be viewed publicly, but being peer reviewed means that at least They've been kind of checked, if you will. They've been vetted in some way. So, so at least you're not you know, getting random kind of craziness on there
1: uh, like you would on social media. So who is this good for? Students, obviously, would be one.
3: Yeah, students, journalists, uh, and really anybody who's working in a field. I mean, academia goes without saying. But anybody who, who works in a field where some kind of contextual research Uh, is important or would be relevant to any kind of project that they might be working on. So for example, I I don't know. I mean, if you were in, if you're in the automotive industry and you wanted to look at peer reviewed papers on autonomous driving uh, or anything related to that, you could look that up and find a wealth of material on it. If you were looking at artificial intelligence in particular, particularly as it related to healthcare, for example, uh, you could look that up and find a lot of results there too so it really depends what you're working in and what you're trying to do but uh, it's a, it is a good place to start to try and find something that you wouldn't be easy, wouldn't be easily able to find somewhere else I,
0: I think it'd be a great place to start if you're say writing a book you know if, you know fiction or nonfiction yeah. about a specific topic or say you wanted to you know research certain things in space, because you're writing a science fiction novel, for example, so you can ground it in reality. Because this is, you're not just googling stuff; you're actually getting actual information about a specific topic, which is, I think, really interesting. And the fact that there's so many topics that are free as well—that's
3: such a good point. I totally agree. Yeah, it, it, for and that's why I said contextual because I it, it applies to so many different avenues that we probably haven't even thought of as we're talking here. So it. it For definitely for someone writing a book and doing research and wanting to be, you know, current, whether it's a nonfiction book or a fiction book, I don't think it even matters. You know, anybody who's looking to ensure that there's accuracy or that they understand a particular topic a little more uh, can get it from experts who have actually looked into it in depth.
1: We're talking about a website called Core, fantastic resource to find thousands of different research papers on just every imaginable topic that you can uh, think of.
0: We should mention it's core.ac.uk is the website address.
1: Again, we've got a great article up on our website. Uh, Ted has written all about it, and you can find out more information about uh, that. Ted, I want to thank you for joining us. Appreciate it, guys. Thanks so much. When we come back from the break, more tech to talk. Stay tuned. You are back with the App Show. Mike and John here As we've been teasing through the show, we're going to tell you the secret word now to get extra entries into our TCL smartphone and TV giveaway. Secret word this
0: week? Radio, because it's built into the phone. That is true.
1: Again... All the details on how to enter and uh, where you put the secret word are up on our website, getconnectedmedia.com. An update to one of the stories we've been following on the program, uh, Bill C-10. We talked to uh, Michael Geist, I think, last week about that. And this is a new bill that would basically allow the CRTC to regulate not only the streaming services like the Netflix and the Amazon Primes of the world, which I don't think a lot of people have a problem with, but it would also allow them to regulate user-generated content, stuff that you, for example, John, would upload to TikTok or any YouTube videos that I would upload.
0: Yeah, or even your Facebook posts. Yeah. Um, So yeah, so there's been an update. Uh, Stephen Gilbeau, the Heritage Minister for Canada, he is uh, putting forward an amendment that will make it crystal clear what's included and what's not included. Uh, And basically, he's sounds like they're flip-flopping a little bit or, you know, maybe being a little more clear about what's included and not. And they're specifically saying that social media platforms like Facebook and TikTok would not be considered a broadcaster, but YouTube could be because of the potential audiences that can be... I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But maybe it might also depend on the type of account that you have, whether you classified as a broadcaster versus someone posting your Fortnite adventures.
1: Maybe depending how many subscribers you have or or followers. Or if
0: you're monetizing it as well. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah, it sounds like there's going to be some uh, further uh, details coming uh, from the government in an amendment to uh, Bill C-10.
1: Well, we'll be following up on that. Uh, Hopefully it goes in the right direction. Yes. Again, don't forget to hit our contest, getconnectedmedia.com and listen to our sister show as well. Get Connected on every Saturday across uh, the country and in Toronto as well, Saturday nights. I want to thank John and all the team, including Christina, that helped put the program together. We will see you again next time.